to, to share this message with you. I think any time, as I, I said this last week, that we go into a, a new year, it's, it's a great time to really evaluate where you're at, where you want to go in life. Maybe, and, and we always call these New Year's resolutions, but what are the changes that I need to make in life? What are the tweaks that I need to, to make in life? And it's a great uh, start over. It's a great point to start fresh you know, when you ever uh, you hit a new year. So today I want to talk to you just about transformation and about making those changes that, that we so desire to make. And, and I'm excited to share this with you. Before I do, let's just bow our heads one last time, pray and invite the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to gather together here this morning. Father, I, I pray, Lord God, that you would just anoint this message. Father, I realize that apart from you, I can do nothing. I realize apart from you, Lord God, any idle word that I speak is just a waste of everyone's time. But Lord, if you'll speak through me, if you'll anoint this message, then hearts can change. Lives can change, Lord God. You can reveal a truth to us that no one else can. I pray that you do that here today. Let your Holy Spirit fill every inch of our sanctuary, Lord. Prepare our hearts so we'd receive exactly what you want us to receive out of the message here today. Father, I pray specifically for those that are, that are going through tough times in life, that are going through storms in life, Lord God, that they're going to receive a special touch from you today. They're going to feel your presence stronger than ever before, and they're going to leave stronger than they came in. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So growing up, my, my dad was really the first preacher that I, that I ever knew. Now, he wasn't a he wasn't a preacher by profession, like he didn't get paid to be a pastor, to be a priest, he didn't get paid for that, but my dad was the kind of person that if I ever asked him a question, he'd go on for 45 minutes to an hour uh, without me even getting a word in edgewise, using the Bible to back up his points, I mean he was using the Greek and the Hebrew, I mean he was throwing the whole kitchen sink at me, it was, he was the first preacher that I ever knew. But see, as a young person, here was my big issue. Now, this was wrong thought, but I was young, and I didn't, I didn't know at the time. When my dad was using the Bible to, to justify his answers to the questions that I would ask, I thought in my mind, well, how do we even know if the Bible's true? See, this is, again, wrong thought, but back, back as, as a young person, I'd start to think as if the Bible was written today about something that took place thousands of years ago, and, and I didn't really understand that fully, so my confidence level in the Bible, and, and the answers my dad would give me uh, were really quite low. But now as I got older, I started to research the Bible. I started to get more into it. And the first book of the Bible that I ever read was the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew transformed my life. It changed every aspect of my life because I started to say, well, if, if the Bible says to do this and I'm not doing it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the changes that I, that I need to make. It completely changed the whole trajectory of my life, and I started researching even more, and I was like, well, when was the book of Matthew written? And I realized that it was actually written in, in 30 to 40 AD, which means that essentially it was written about 30 to 40 years after Jesus had went to the cross. That's the equivalent of someone today writing about something that took place in, in 1990. So it was really pretty recent. But then I dug even deeper into that, and I said, who wrote the book of Matthew? This is going to shock you, but the book of Matthew was actually written by Matthew. Yeah, it was. I don't know. I, I, sure, I know. But Matthew was one of the disciples with Jesus. So, so the person writing this book was writing about a first-hand experience that he saw with Jesus. And then my confidence started to get even higher in that. 
But then I dug even deeper, and I realized something. I realized that Matthew wasn't always Matthew the disciple. That Matthew the disciple used to be Levi the tax collector. And I said, well, wait a minute. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were considered pure evil. We don't look at tax collectors like that today. Thank God. Amen. I don't know if any of you work for the IRS. I'm just trying to butter you up just in case. Or if you know someone. But they were the worst of the worst. And I'm saying, how in the world can you go from being Levi, an evil tax collector, to becoming Matthew, one of the disciples who writes one of the four gospels that transforms and changes millions and millions of lives? throughout the history of this world. How in the world does that transformation take place? And that's what I want to talk about here today. So let me encourage you, if you're not where you want to be, that there's hope for you. If you need to make changes in your life, like if you keep messing up doing the same old stuff and you're like, man, I can't believe I keep doing this and you're getting down on yourself, let me tell you, there's hope for you. Because if Levi, the evil tax collector, can become Matthew, the disciple, that anything is possible for you. Anything is possible for you in 2020. So that's what I want to talk about here today. There's three things that Levi did. There's three things that you can do in your life. That if you're not where you want to be, if you need to make a transformation, that it will always take you from where you're at to where you want to go. There's three things that Levi did that we're going to focus on here today. The first thing that that Levi did was he had a real true encounter with Jesus. You have to have a real encounter with God. You have to have your own personal encounter with Jesus. It can't be your parents' encounter. It can't be what my dad told me. It can't be what a church tells you. It can't be what a pastor tells you. It's got to be your own genuine encounter with Jesus. That's the first thing that Levi does that transforms his life forever. See, when we first find Levi in the the Bible, Levi is doing what he does. He's collecting taxes. Now, as I said, tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were were evil, they were sinners, and let me explain you why. These were typically Jewish men that were working for Rome. Now, Rome was the oppressor of the Jews. So essentially, they're taking money from the Jewish people to give to Rome, who's oppressing the Jews. That would be equivalent today of of someone taking money from you, hard-earned money that you worked hard for, giving it to ISIS, who's trying to destroy you. So they were looked at as traitors. They were like, how in the world could you work for the enemy? So number one, they were looked at as traitors, but they were also very dishonest. See, here's what would happen. They would, you would owe $200 in taxes, but they would tell you, you know what? You owe $400 in taxes. And you knew you didn't. You worked hard for this money, but still you had to pay. There was no argument you could, you could make. So they would, they would take more from you than you even owed. And as they took that, They would put it in their pockets. They would line their pockets with your money. And I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine you're a Jewish person. You're struggling to make ends meet. you got a family that you're trying to feed. You don't even know where your next meal is going to come from. And then you look up on the hill and you see that tax collector's house. And it's a big old mansion. And you realize the only reason they have that is they're stealing what I actually worked hard to have. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were dishonest. They were evil people in the eyes of the, of the Jewish people. And that's right when Jesus meets Levi. I'll read it to you here. It comes to us in Mark 2.13. It says, once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. 
and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Let me stop right there. I love when the Bible does this, when it tells us information that we really don't need in the first place. So here's why this is important, why this verse is important. When I said Levi earlier, I saw most of your, your eyes, I saw the looks on your faces, and you were like, wait, Levi? You mean the son of Alphaeus? Yes, that Levi. Same one. The Bible tells us it was Levi, son of Alphaeus. Who was Alphaeus? He was Levi's dad. He was, what did he do? We don't know what he did. He was just, but the Bible, that is the word of God, Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax collector's booth. Then Jesus says to him, follow me. And Levi gets up and he follows him. He has this encounter with Jesus in the middle of his sin. And here's the two things that are so critical and so important to understand about this verse. Jesus went to Levi. He didn't wait for Levi to come to him. Here's why that's important. There's so many people out there right now that feel like they got to clean up their lives. They got to be perfect before they could ever encounter Jesus. Jesus meets Levi right in the middle of his mess, right in the middle of his sin. He gets down into the dirt with him. He gets down into the mud with him. He meets him right in the middle of him collecting taxes where, where he's dishonest, where he's sinning. And I want you to know that Jesus meets you right where you're at. He meets you right where you're at. Man, when you're out with the boys having, having just a, a night of, of all kinds of things, and you're like, man, I'm making so many mistakes. I can't believe the things. Jesus is right there ready to encounter you. You can encounter Jesus right in the middle of your mess, right in the middle of your sin, because he's right there waiting for you. He doesn't wait for Levi to clean up his life. He doesn't sit back and, and look at this guy, Levi, and say to, say to the people around him, hey, you see that tax collector? You know, when he cleans up his life, I might ask him to be a disciple. He doesn't do that. He goes up to him in the middle of his mess and says, come, follow me. And that's the, um, uh, another amazing point about this. He just tells Levi, follow me. And Levi gets up and he follows him. Where are they going? He doesn't know. He has no idea where they're going to go. Here's the reality about your encounter with Jesus. When he says, follow me, you get up and you follow him, even though you have no idea where it's going to lead. In fact, where it's going to lead, it might leave some friends behind. It might leave some jobs behind. But you can trust God even when you don't know where he's leading you because he's a good God who only knows how to give good gifts. So when he says, follow me, you say, man, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know where I'm going to go. I might get out of the boat and start walking on water. I might have to be raised from the dead. I don't know what's going to take place, but I know I can trust you because you only know how to give good gifts. As we've been saying, he has a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. I don't know where this leading's going to take me. I don't know what I might lose, but I know nothing I'm going to lose is going to be important that I'm only going to gain by following Jesus. Levi's taking such a big risk. He's taking such a big risk because he's leaving a life of luxury. Tax collectors, as I said, were very wealthy. So he's leaving this known thing where I'm going to be rich to go into the unknown and follow Jesus. He doesn't know where he's going to go. He knows what he's leaving. And the reality is he can't go back after six months. He can't go back after a year and say, hey, you know, uh, I made a mistake. That Jesus guy, yeah, I, I'm not following him anymore. Can I get my job back? You still got that opening? No, it's done. 
He can't get it back. It's like someone uh, abandoning the military. You can't go back and say, hey, I was just joking. I was, just, I was kidding. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. He didn't know where he was going. He knew what he was leaving. But he knew he could trust God. And so can you. If you want to transform your life, you've got to have a true encounter with Jesus. The second thing you've got to do, the second thing that will transform your life and probably the most critical, is you've got to surround yourself with the right people. You've got to surround yourself with the right people. Can I tell you that if you're not surrounded by the right people in life, that it becomes incredibly hard, if not completely impossible, to ever change your life for the good? Why? Because of gravity. Gravity sucks. I'm 40 years old, and I realize that I need to come up with a new word other than sucks. Like, that is, I've been using that since I was like eight years old. And there's got to be a more intelligent word for that. But we deal with gravity, and gravity's always going to suck you down. See, Levi had his crew. Levi had his crew. We know that because after he encounters Jesus, he has a party. Now, he didn't have to convince people to come to his house. Why? Because surely he had lots of parties, and people knew what kind of party this was. They knew what they, oh, you're having a party tonight? Just say no more. We will be there. This is when the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, they see this, and they're like, Jesus, why are you, why are you uh, having fellowship with tax collectors and drunkards and sinners? Like, this is that moment. This is that party. Now, why did he have that party? Because he wanted his crew to have the same opportunity to encounter Jesus and change their lives just as he did. He throws a party for his crew. And here's the thing. I'm sure that many people there encountered Jesus and their life was changed forever. And I'm sure that others didn't. Others said, ah, it doesn't make sense to me. It's not for me. It's not right now. Maybe in a year after I'm done partying a little bit more, then, then maybe I'll follow Jesus. And they didn't turn their lives around. But here's the amazing thing about that moment. Whether they accepted Jesus or not, we never hear about that crew again. We never hear about that crew again. Why? Because Levi had to surround himself with the right people. There was no 12-step program. There was no financial peace that he could find out, you know, how to get his uh, finances right. Like, all those things are awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But he didn't have that luxury. All he had was the people around him. He surrounded himself with the right people. See, if you're surrounded by the wrong people in life, no matter how hard you try, eventually they're going to suck you down. Eventually they're going to lead you to a place that you never intended to go in the first place. Let me give you a crazy example. So, so let's say tomorrow, Monday, you're going to work. Now you leave your house at, at a specific time every single day because you don't have to hit any traffic. So, so you know when I'm leaving this house, I'm going to have smooth sailing to work. But unfortunately, this is a different day. From the moment you leave your house, you're in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. You're driving along, and, and in this traffic that now you're realizing I'm going to be late, and your anxiety is starting to increase, your stress level is starting to increase, and now out of nowhere, someone comes and cuts you off. You didn't do anything wrong, but as they cut you off, now they're in front of you honking and giving you the one-finger peace sign. The one-finger peace sign. Some of you aren't going to get that until you ride home, and that's all right. And you're like, what did I do? You cut me off. You get to work now. All of a sudden, your boss is yelling at you for being late. You're like, man, I, I left at the same time I always leave. One thing after another starts happening at work. 
all of a sudden people are getting mad at you. You're getting in trouble for things you don't feel like you deserve. Now it's 12 noon and you're like, oh my God, I just want this day to end. This is the worst day ever. I just want to go home. So you call your crew. Now, you're a Christian and you go to church, but your crew doesn't. And you never do what they do because you're a church person. You're, you're praying, you're reading your Bible. You never do what they do. But today's a bad day. So you call your crew because that is your crew. That's your people. Those are the people that you call on a day like this. And you call them up and you're like, hey, man, I'm having, I'm having the worst day ever. Hey, what are you guys doing after work? Oh, oh you're going to the bar. Now, you never go to the bar with them. You know they're always at the bar. You never go to the bar. But today, man, you just feel like you need to be around your friends. And these are your friends. So you're like, all right, you're going to the bar? All right, what time? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll meet you there. Now, in your mind, you're already justifying, well, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to drink anything. I'm not going to do anything. I, I don't do that. I'm not like them. But, man, this is a different kind of day. So now you get down to that bar. And all of a sudden, one drink turns into two, turns into five, turns into ten. And before you know it, you're going down a path that you never intended to go down in the first place. Why? Because you were surrounded by the wrong people in life. That was your friends. That, that's your circle right there. That's who you called. But if you got the right people in your life, that phone call goes very different. You call up your friends. You're like, hey, Tim, man, I'm having, I'm having the worst day ever. Man, I'm, I'm having such a bad day. Hey, what are you doing after work? I, I, just need to, I, just need to, I just need to be around you, man. Oh, you're going to Chili's? All right, I'll go to Chili's. We can get the triple play. I mean, what's going to happen at Chili's? Like, nothing's happening at Chili's. Right? We can go to Chili's. We have a great time at Chili's. He's not going to a place that you don't want to go to. Why? Because you're surrounded by the right people in life. When you're surrounded by the right people, that call goes very differently because we're all going to have that day. Man, it's going to come out of nowhere. It's not, it's not like you're going to be able to prepare. It's going to come out when you least expect it. And if you don't got the right people, gravity is going to suck you down. Let me illustrate this a little bit more. Imagine this. Imagine if I'm holding a 45-pound weight right now. Now I'm a really strong guy. So thank you for not laughing at that. I appreciate that. I'm about 6'2". I'm saying that because some people are listening on the podcast and they've never seen me before. And they're going to be like, man, strong, 6'2". We got to check out this guy. So I'm like six, like one and a half. So, so you're holding a 45-pound weight. Like I could do that for a little while. Probably not very long, but a little while. But eventually, even though I could hold this up, gravity is going to make this so heavy and all of a sudden it's going to start to suck it down. And that's what having the wrong people in your life are going to do. You've got to have the right people in your life. Because you've got the wrong people, man, you can fight the current for a while. And you might say, well, hey, I'm going to suck them up. I'm going to pull them up. Yeah, for a while, but eventually it's going to start to suck you down. You've got to have the right people in your life. Let me do overkill and give you another example. Can I get my two volunteers? James, can you come here? Tim, can you come here for a second? Can you come up here, James? This is my brother-in-law, James. This is Tim. You can clap for them. They're going to, they're going to, this is going to be the best part of the whole message right here. Everything else sucked right now. Amazing. Watch this. So this is Tim. This is James. Now they're sinners. 
That's not part of the message. I just want to call them out publicly. All right, you guys can sit down now. No, I'm just kidding. So right now, I want you to know that they're the wrong people in my life. I'm a church-going guy. They're sinners. They're a mess, right? So eventually, if here, lock arms with me. Uh, other way. So now let me walk you back. I promise I won't walk you off the stage. <sighs> okay, we won't take too many steps because we're very close to the edge. So don't be too nervous here. So here's the deal. I got the wrong people in my life, right? So I can fight this for a while and maybe I can start to pull them up my way. But when I have, we're so close to the edge right now. Oh my gosh. All right, we're going to stop there. We're not that close. I just want to get in the way. So I'm fighting the, the, the crowd, right? I'm fighting their ways. I'm still churchy. I'm still, I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still praying. But then when you have that bad day, when you have those things that come out of nowhere that seem so unfair, then I get tired. I grow weak. I grow weary. And, and now start walking me back. Now I'm too weak. I can't do it. And now they're pulling me down a path that I never intended to go. But if you have the right people in your life, turn around now and lock arms with me. If you got the right people in your life, You're walking the same direction. You're walking the same path. So when you still have those bad days, and you will, when you still get weak, when you still get weary, and you will, you're walking the same path. So you can't even walk anymore, but they're able to hold you up on that path and keep your feet firmly upon God's path because they're going the same direction as you. That's why you've got to have the right people in your life. Clap for them doing an amazing job. Thank you so much. Amazing. The level of difficulty was so high on that, you guys nailed it. <laughs> Easily the best part of the message. Got to have the right people because it only takes one time. I know we talked about a few weeks ago that, that just one, you know, Adam and Eve, just one, just one bite, just one apple, it's just, just one is all it takes. There's a pastor that... My wife and I love, he, I mean, super, man, if I had 10% of this guy's talent, I'd be thrilled in life. In fact, before we started uh, the church over in Arizona, we went to his church because he was, he was awesome. Man, he was great. And I'm telling you, he's a real Christian, but at one point, he just didn't have the right people around him, and he made a mistake. And that mistake cost him everything. It cost him his job. It cost him his ministry. Man, that guy had a book coming out that was going to be in Walmart. We're talking about like two weeks uh, before he actually, before, when he left that church, two weeks later, that book was going to come out in Walmart. I'm talking about he was going to go from here to here. But he didn't have the right people in his life for that, for that one moment he let his guard down and it cost him everything. And I hope he rebounds and I hope he gets back on his feet because he's an awesome guy, he's an amazing guy, but he made a mistake and it cost him everything. His wife was co-pastor of that church. Guess what? It cost her everything too. They're kids. Every, I mean, what do you do if your job is being a pastor of a church and, and you have a failure like that that's very public? What do you do? It's not like you can just go and a, apply to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like, what do you do? That's your life. That's your job. And when that's ruined, where do you go? Got to have the right people in your life. I, I, I told my wife when that happened, I said, if I ever start to travel as an evangelist, it, it was so eye-opening that, man, I got I to gotta travel with my crew. I got to have the right people in my life that are not going to be afraid to tell me if I'm messing up. They're going to say, hey, you can't do that. Because all it takes is one. You guys know Billy Graham. Billy Graham 
took this to the extreme. Can I tell you a crazy thing about Billy Graham? When Billy Graham was young and starting out as an evangelist, he wasn't the greatest evangelist out there. There was two other guys, two other guys that were considered far greater than Billy Graham. Two other guys. One was named Charles Templeton. The other guy, I don't remember his name. And I could have looked it up, but I'm lazy. I'm just kidding. I didn't want to look it up, so I want to make a point. Every one of you, if I say Billy Graham knows who Billy Graham is, Charles Templeton, very few, if any of you know who he is. The other guy, I don't even know who he is. I don't even remember his name. But they were greater than Billy Graham. But both of those two, they messed up and, and they fell off. But Billy Graham, he said, I got to be surrounded by the right people. In fact, he did something called the Modesto Manifesto. They, they came up with this in, in Modesto, if you can believe that. That's where they got the name. Modesto Manifesto. Here was what Billy Graham did. He said, hey, if I go into a hotel room, my crew's with me, they're going to go into that hotel room before I ever step foot in there. I'm going to have them search high and low every inch of that, of that room. If there's anything in there that can even cause me to stumble. They go through all the TV channels. There's even a, a questionable TV channel. He said, I'd have them take that whole TV out of the room. You say, that's so ridiculous. No, he just didn't want to mess up. Because we're human. We have those weak moments. He's like, I'm going to beat the devil before the devil even has a chance to beat me. The devil's smart, but man, you got more power than the devil. You got a stronger brain than the devil because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You say, I'm going to beat him before he ever beats me. I'm going to put my, my, my people in place. You got to be surrounded by the right people in life. The last thing you got to do, the third thing, is once you encounter Jesus, you have that real real encounter with God. Once you surround yourself with the right people, then you just can't look back. You can't look back. You can never have a future if you continue living in the past. Let me say that again. You'll never have a future if you continue living in the past. That's like trying to walk forward and looking behind you the whole way and thinking you're going to go in a straight line. You can't look back. You've got to only go forward. See, that's the amazing part about this story of this transformation that Levi had. See, Levi knows he was a mess. He knows that he was a sinning tax collector. And when you read the other Gospels, when you read uh, Luke and you read Mark, and they talk about this encounter that Levi has with Jesus, they talk about Levi encountering Jesus. But in Levi's Gospel, Matthew, it's very ironic what he says about this encounter. What he says about this encounter is very eye-opening to me. What he says about this encounter is found in Matthew 9.9. See, the other Gospels, as I said, mention Levi encountering Jesus. But Matthew, when he's writing about his own encounter with Jesus, doesn't call himself Levi. In Matthew 9.9, he says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man. A man named Matthew. It's like he says, I'm not even going to acknowledge my old self. He said, the old is gone and the new has come. I am a new creation in Jesus. I am more than a conqueror. I know what I was, but I'm not that anymore. So I'm not even going to acknowledge that person existed. He says, when Jesus was walking along, everyone else saw this sinner, this evil tax collector named Levi. And that's exactly what I was. But Jesus didn't see Levi. 
He said, when Jesus was, was walking along, he looked at me. He didn't see Levi, the sinner. He saw Matthew, the disciple. Because deep down inside, Levi was Matthew just waiting to be birthed, just waiting for someone to believe in him, waiting for someone to encourage him, waiting for someone to say, you could be so much more than you ever thought or imagined. I see Matthew, a disciple. I don't see Levi, the tax collector. He says, when Jesus saw me, he didn't see who I was. He saw what I could be. He saw Matthew. I wonder what's inside of you just waiting to be birthed. I wonder what's inside of you that just needs a little encouragement to come out. Man, you might be a mess sitting here right now. But inside of you is an amazing, amazing person waiting to come out. You just need that encouragement. You just need that person to be birthed. Inside of Levi was Matthew. And Jesus saw that and he sees it in you. He meets you right where you're at. He says, you can do it. I believe in you. If you want to transform your life in 2020, this is what you do. You encounter Jesus. You surround yourself with the right people. And then when you do all of that, you never look back. Man, I can't wait to see what 2020 has in store for you. I truly believe that God's going to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. Now it's time just to follow and see where he leads us. Let us bow our heads and, and pray as we close down service.